You're listening to the Healing Birth Podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. Each week, we'll spend an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. Today we welcome Kristen White to the podcast. Kristen has experienced three very different births, a hospital caesarean, hospital VBAC and a home birth after caesarean. She well knows the profound impacts birthing has on both mama and baby, and she has absolute faith in a woman's power to birth. She believes all births can be beautiful and empowering, and that all mamas have a right to be fully informed and supported to make the decisions that are right for them during their birth journey. Kristen describes her C-section birth as traumatic, her hospital VBAC as such a ride, but ultimately a beautiful untouched hospital birth. However, it was her home birth that completely transformed Kristen and catapulted her into the birth work sphere. She is now a certified healing birth practitioner and a qualified childbirth educator and doula. She spreads her wisdom, love and guidance to mamas and mamas-to-be via her beautiful business, Mama Rise. Welcome to the Healing Birth Podcast, Kristen. It is so exciting to have you here with us today and sharing all of your uh, incredible experiences from sort of trauma to healing and then into the world of birth work. Um, So I am so excited that you are going to be sharing your experiences with our audience so they can learn perhaps take some tips and tools away from your stories about how they can find healing for themselves if they've experienced trauma, how they can set themselves up for a positive, empowering birth experience, um, and yeah, how they could potentially work with you as well. I'd love to talk a bit about your birth work. So yeah, lots to cover. Let's crack into it. But I just want to, before you share your story with us, I kind of want to start with, you know, birth Birth trauma is a bit of a heavy topic, and I like to start with the lighter question of, um, and uh, you know, I've pre-prepared you for this, <laughs> for this question, but can you share with us um, something from your parenting journey that is like a, a, an awkward, funny, or otherwise entertaining moment? I honestly, I really had to think about this, and I had to go to my husband and say, "What is a funny, awkward?" thing we've been through as parents and I had something prepared but this there was something else that came to me so when I was pregnant with my second daughter Quinn I had I think undiagnosed HG I was so sick just constantly vomiting and my eldest daughter Isabella was five at the time so she saw this like all morning I was vomiting while getting her ready for school and one day I was walking her into school and you know that nausea came over me and I was like Bella, I, I need food from your lunchbox or I'm going to vomit. And she just ripped her lunchbox out of her bag. And she's like, here, take it. And I had to eat my child's lunch before sending her to school. 
But um, that's how bad it was. I would have just spewed on the side of the road, walking her up to her school. So she's just like, take. <laughs> Please, Mum, don't embarrass me. Yeah, don't embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather go without lunch. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, oh, that- we laugh, but, yeah, that morning sickness, morning sickness, all day sickness. It's I know. Horrendous. It's so awful. It's so bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, can can you now talk us through your journey into motherhood? Uh-huh. Um, I know that your first birth was a bit of a traumatic one. Um, and then, yeah, like after after sharing your first birth journey with us, like talk us through your next births. Cool. Um. So I had my first daughter 13 years ago. She's just turned 13. So we're going into the teenage years and I'm really excited about that. But I was 24. So I think, you know, looking back, I was really young and went to antenatal classes. And all I knew was I do not want to have a birth like my mum did with me. So that was my birth story was forceps delivery, posterior, long labor. And that's what I grew up learning. And so I was just certain I'm not going to have a birth like my mum. And I didn't really do any other preparation because I think 13 years ago, you just went to antenatal classes. I wasn't aware there was any other option but hospital to birth at. It wasn't um mentioned to me so I was having a hospital birth and then from 37 weeks I was convinced I was going to go into labor anytime because I'm now full term and I did not I went to 41 plus three with Bella so I was 10 days past my due date when she was born and I was booked for an induction on the Monday but went into labor on early Saturday morning Um, and it was I labored all day so spontaneous labor which I was so thrilled about because induction to me was terrifying because I'm I've always been really interested in natural everything and the idea of being artificially induced to have my baby was just so weird to me and I didn't want it to happen and it was never presented as an option it was presented as a you're booked in for it for an induction on Monday were you told um, why was that kind of discussed? Because I was overdue. And that meant? I know, right? So I I always, I now mm. look at our, you know, due date as an estimate at 40 weeks. And that's your, that's full term. And you're not actually officially late until 42 plus one, because that's late full term. So yeah, that was the reason she was fine. We went in and had what a non-stress test done at 41 weeks and I was good she was good she was a beautiful size and I remember them telling us everything's looking really good but they still booked me in for this induction it was just you are booked in not do you want to Um, and I didn't know any better then I really didn't I was so uninformed and I just went along with it even though my gut said no I don't want this to happen I don't want an artificial induction. Well, you trust you trust the the birth team to like they know what's best, right? That's what we've kind of grown up understanding. 
we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know what we don't know. And yeah, we just trust the people, you know, caring for us through our pregnancy because, you know, it needs all that extra care, doesn't it? <laughs> Not actually. <Last> now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, went into spontaneous labor. It all it was going fine. It just early labor was quite long, but that's expected for a first time mama. You know, most of the time, I think it's pretty standard. Um, coped at home really well all day. Just moved, moved around the house, and I did. I laboured at home all day long, and I was fine. And it was just at the point where things were really, you know, cranking up that my midwife suggested we transfer to the hospital. So that was about nine o'clock at night, and I first started getting contractions at four a.m. Saturday morning and yeah went up to the hospital and I got in the pool um I really loved it I think it probably slowed my labor down a bit because I love being in the water so I was very relaxed um but I found it really helpful uh so I labored in the water for quite a while um I had no cervical examinations at this point I it wasn't offered and I didn't even know the necessity of them at the time. I don't even remember really learning about them. Um, so it never even crossed my mind to ask. And my midwife was following the purple line on my bottom. So she could see that it was all progressing really well. Um, I, but at some point I started vomiting a lot, which was probably transition. And my midwife suggested I get out of the pool because maybe things had slowed up and get on the bed and have some monitoring done for 20 minutes and that 20 minutes actually turned into two hours she left the room um she wasn't with me at the time so I didn't want any pain relief I was offered an epidural and I refused it because I it was not in my plan and I didn't want it and I was coping fine but then when I got I was on my back and left for two hours I got really distressed because I was vomiting a lot. Um, and at one point, I Gareth was still with me, my husband. I got up off the bed, all the monitors fell off and all the alarms started going. And then another midwife came running into the room and she actually told me off. And I said to her, I don't want to be on my back anymore. I can't do it on my back. But she told me off. She got me back on the bed. And she told me, do not do that again. Wow. Um, even though it was just not working for me. Mm. And in the end, my mum, who was also part of my support team, went and found my midwife because I was just, yeah, again, so distressed being on my back. Went and found my midwife. Um, and she was just hanging out in the staff room with the other midwives came in she then offered a vaginal examination found I was seven centimeters when she had thought I was about nine because maybe she had done a examination actually because she said I had a cervical lip at nine centimeters so she must have um and then put me on the bed so then yeah she did another one seven centimeters so I'd actually dilated backwards and no, I put, body, body wanting to stop your baby from being born when you're yes, in, in this unsafe right. space. Yeah, wow. Yes. 
Mm. And I, I, I had no idea that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. So we all thought something was going wrong instead of acknowledging, hey, your body's working perfectly and it is protecting you from birthing in an unsafe environment. So she went and got an obstetrician. He came in, did, did a vaginal examination and just told me, we're going to take you for a cesarean section. There was no, um, yeah, no conversation around this is my recommendation. Um, he was probably in the room. I mean, I was in labor, so, you know, my memory of time is, you know, not reliable. But I felt like he was in the room for a minute or two before, you know, making that decision. And apart from me being distressed, I was fine. All my stats were fine. Bella was doing perfectly. Um, she had not once got stressed. And but this was a, a classic failure to progress. Oh, yeah. C-section. Emergency C-section because you're failing yeah. to progress. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so at, at the time I was relieved because I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all relieved. You know, it was going to be over. I was going to meet my baby. And I think that was about five o'clock in the morning. And I remember this because it's in my notes, not because mm-hmm. I know the time. Um, and we went down to surgery and Bella was born at 7.03 a.m. The surgery itself was fine. I felt well looked after and supported by the staff. But when Bella was born, um, the surgeon lifted my baby up to me and said to me, here's your baby. She would have died if you'd pushed because her cord was wrapped around her um, neck three times. So those are Bella's first words she heard. And then, you know, my sort of introduction into motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I should mention a couple of other things, actually. Before I went into surgery, a midwife wanted to insert a catheter that I didn't want to have inserted while not having any pain relief. I was, I just didn't want to be touched anymore. And I said no. And she turned around and said to, told me, no, we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hadn't given permission and she did it anyway. She could have waited. I mean, obviously, you're going to be having an epidural or exactly, you know, for the C-section. Yeah, maybe it's not their, you know, routine procedure, and they do things in a particular order. But I'd said no, Mm. and no means no. But absolutely, yeah, she Mm. turned around and told me no, Um, and then she proceeded to shave my um, pubic area without telling me. And I said to her, "What are you doing?" Mm. And um, yeah, oh, I'm shaving you because you need to have it done for surgery. But yeah, no consent, not even any communication at all of what she was doing to me. So yeah, and it's that whole term of your dignity goes out the window when you give birth. And at the time, you know, I really believed that. It's like, oh, this is all happening because it has to happen. But it's should not be the case yeah you just like this is what this is what birth is you know yeah I I shouldn't have expected anything different yeah yeah wow yeah Yeah. um yeah so then Bella was born she was taken to the recess table even though she was fine yeah Uh, but 13 years ago I think that was standard practice and then she was wrapped up like a little burrito or over to meet me briefly and then given to my husband so he he was the first one to hold her and 
um, which was really lovely for him. He has a really positive recollection of that birth because I think it was more about him than it was about me in the end because he got that really lovely experience of watching his baby be born and then he got to hold her. Um, and then we went through to recovery and it was shit. This part was really awful. My, I don't know if it was my midwife or a midwife, she just stripped my gown off me and threw my baby on my breast. And her latch was horrendous. And this set us up for a terrible breastfeeding journey. Even my mum was going, uh, pointing out that Bella's nose was so smushed into my breast that she couldn't breathe. And I remember my midwife saying, oh, she'll move herself. But now I know better that, you know, shouldn't be like that your baby's nose shouldn't be smushed into your breast and within 24 hours probably not even that but Bella was vomiting blood my nipples were shredded and when I asked for support with feeding um, I was told multiple times it's normal it's fine your baby's vomiting blood which was my blood from my nipples mm. um, you've just got to get used to it Wow. So it was just, yeah, the whole postpartum support in hospital was terrible. And I just sat there as a brand new mom going, what the fuck just happened to me? Mm. It was 31 hours of labor in the end. So I was exhausted. Um, but yeah, there was just no support. And then Gareth had to go home every night and I was alone. Mm. And I think most C-section mamas will you know, be able to attest to this. It's hard to move. It's hard to get to your baby when she's crying, you know, when they're crying. Um, yeah, it was just awful, mm. really awful. And then we had a midwife come in the next morning and Bella has a little dimple at the top of her bottom. And I'd gone to have a shower, my first shower, you know, since I'd had my baby. And Gareth was looking after Bella. And this midwife said to Gareth, oh, I think she's got spina bifida. I need to get a pediatrician to come and check. So he was sitting there now with his new baby while I was showering, absolutely terrified that she had spina bifida. And I came out and I was just like, no, she doesn't. Don't even worry about it. Nothing came up in the scans. And that's the one time I was just like, no, this is crap. This is terrible. And she actually got in a lot of trouble for saying that because the whole pediatric team came in and checked her out and she was fine um but yeah that was just so many things were wrong yeah yeah, yeah. did you know that at the time like I, obviously in that situation you did I could I can hear your awareness that what was being said was nonsense and not okay uh -huh. but did you the, the the broader picture of your birth and how your labor had been managed um did you know at the time that it wasn't okay that that wasn't how uh you should have been cared for or was there you know we we grow up with this we you know groomed compliance right like yeah. <laughs> we are taught from a young age how to be a good patient in the hospital system and it's no different in birth um and so yeah, that's why I'm interested to know back then, if you can recall, were you aware that this wasn't okay or was it kind of like, oh, well, that, I guess that's just birth? Yeah, it was very much that because mm. my baby was alive 
Mm. And mm. it and that's what people everyone told me. Mm. Everyone. Yeah. At least your baby's alive. Yeah. Yeah. And be grateful. Be grateful. Yeah. You've got a live baby. Things could have yep. been so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, my early postpartum days, I was a mess for years actually. For years. And the bond with Bella was just shattered. You know, I loved her very much, but it was so hard to parent her. Every day was hard. Every day my husband left for work, I dreaded the day ahead. You know, how am I going to get through it? What are we going to do? And when she was three years old, I broke down on her shoulder, apologizing to her because I didn't know what was wrong with me. And it all goes back to birth. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it was just so, the, everything was shattered from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very, very shit experience. But it took me 10 years to actually acknowledge um, how bad it was and how much it affected me. And it's only now, 13 years on, that I have found some peace with it. And I'm actually absolutely besotted with my daughter. It's taken mm. me 13 mm. years to get there. Mm. And that's really sad to mm, me. It's so sad. <laughs> mm. Can you talk us through how you have gone from, from trauma and mm -hmm. lack of bond to, to who you are now, this like fierce advocate in the birthing yeah. world, but, you know, and this, yeah, um, a passionate birth keeper. Yeah. How have you gone yeah. from there to there? What what the what are the ingredients? <laughs> <laughs> the so po post Bella, I um had two more daughters. And when when I'd had Bella, because I'm a really little person, I'm five foot two, if that, I'm really small. And someone came into the room, stood at the end of my bed and said to me, You shouldn't ever try to have vaginal birth because you're too little. And when someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to prove to you I can. Mm. And plus my mum and my auntie are also really small people and had three vaginal deliveries. No worries. Um, so when we fell pregnant with Quinn, it was five years five years later. And I've had two, I had two losses before Quinn. I had a miscarriage and ectopic, which I've actually recently found out that ectopic pregnancies are a complication of cesarean sections. You're far more likely to have an ectopic after a cesarean section. So that makes me mad as well, because I lost a tube um, through that experience. So then I fell pregnant with Quinn and immediately I knew I'm never having a cesarean section ever again. That was my fear with my next birth. I didn't want to schedule one um, because you have that option. Once you've had a C-section, you can just elect to have another one. And I knew that I never wanted to have that again. Um, obviously, a vaginal birth after cesarean comes with this very minuscule risk of uterine rupture, but that didn't even register on my radar about the rupture I had absolutely zero fear of that but a hundred percent fear of having another cesarean section can I just ask like you said you had zero fear of uterine rupture and yet no doubt you were hearing from whatever health professionals were involved in your um pregnancy or you know but friends, family, the media you know um all the places we hear uh -huh. about 
that birth um, is like uterine rupture. You know, you wouldn't want to like that's that, that's the big fear of yeah. feedback of vaginal birth after cesarean is. But what if you know? Uh, so how? Yeah, was that not in your world, or was that? How did you overcome that? Um, to be honest, it wasn't really in my world. I went and met with a midwife. Um, I met with a few. I made. I interviewed midwives this time. I met one who said to me, oh, well, you'll need to go and see an obstetrician who will tell you whether or not you can have a vaginal birth. So I was like, see you later. Okay, brilliant. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I met another midwife who was like, yay, amazing. My VBAC rate's like 90%. So I was like, sweet. And we just hit it off. She was amazing. And I don't ever remember even having these conversations about uterine rupture. I mean, obviously she would have had to have told me as part of her box ticking that you have this risk. And we just had so many good conversations that when I went to my VBAC clinic, which you recommended to go to, and now I know you don't have to, so I would have declined with it. A, with an obstetrician too. Yeah, 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 with an obstetrician. And I walked into that room and he, you know, he was like, oh, I'm happy for you to, you know, have a VBAC, but these are the risks, blah, blah, blah. And these are the recommendations. So he said, you know, IV line, come into hospital as soon as labor's established, um, constant monitoring, all these things. And I turn around and say to him, well, I'm not having an IV line inserted because someone can do that in an emergency. I don't want constant fetal monitoring and I want to have a water birth. And because I think I was so convicted, mm -hmm. he was just like, okay. <laughs> Wow, awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I did in the end have constant fetal monitoring, but I had a, a cordless one. Mm -hmm. um, I think he that was a bit of a compromise, but what a pain. Mm -hmm. It was such a pain. There's, there's lots surrounding constant fetal monitoring. I mean, we could have a, you know, we could have quite a conversation about this, but mm -hmm. I think the psychology of it is... Uh, you know, we know that that there are more cesareans happening with people who are being cons continuously monitored. Yeah, but the outcomes aren't. Um, you know, it's it's not making birth safer. The outcomes no. are different to intermittent monitoring. No. Um, but the psychology for the for the birthing person and for the midwife or the partner, at hearing that heartbeat do those those very normal physiological dips with as the you know contractions are kind of shutting off the blood supply a little bit and there's a pressure on the baby's head as it's moving down lower and into the pelvis you know that's normal it's normal for the heart rate to drop a little and then rise up again but if you are hearing that every time you're having a contraction and often they do leave the sound going and you're hearing the heartbeat slow I mean that's scary it's it's it plays on your mind of course it plays on your mind so yeah yeah absolutely um so could you get in the water with a with the cordless seat yes yeah yeah I could it was a water but I I did say if it's not available I'm not being strapped to the bed because mm. there was only one in the hospital and in, in Christchurch Women's Hospital there was one cordless monitor mm. which is ridiculous for such a big hospital um so yeah my pregnancy was really smooth with Quinny apart from horrendous um 
morning sickness, all day sickness, all night sickness, if I moved sickness. <laughs> um, but it was it was great. She was amazing. I feel like Quinn was a very spiritual baby. And the reason I had such strong symptoms with her was her telling me, I'm here, mama, I'm strong. Uh, one day I was sitting in the car and I was having lots of doubts about, you know, the pregnancy because I'd had two losses before her. Mm-hmm. And um, I was wearing a necklace at the time, but the sun obviously shone on it. And there was just rainbows all through my mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we call our babies after losses rainbow babies. And, yeah, she's a real force, that one. She's definitely, yeah, my whole pregnancy with her was exactly her personality. <laughs> mm, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so I started early labour with her at 39 weeks, and then this continued for seven days. So this was a real mental exercise for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm seven days of early labor and it wasn't easy early labor either it was quite intense you know one night my midwife was with me at home and we really thought that it was picking up and we went up to the hospital and um you know got sent home again because I was only two centimeters dilated so not officially in labor and this went on and on and on and on and it was exhausting so I wasn't really managing to sleep through the contractions I was getting they were pretty regular so it was pretty regular for seven days my midwife was great she was very patient with me because at this point I was getting quite anxious because I had my previous birth story so I started doubting my body's ability to give birth mm-hmm. and at 40 weeks I went up to the hospital and I was like I'm done and I want to book a repeat cesarean I want this to be over oh I should mention actually I had a really positive experience with an obstetrician up in Christchurch Women's Hospital after my night in hospital she came to me and she spoke just to me she didn't speak to anyone else in the room she just spoke to me and she told me she could take me for a cesarean right now if I wanted but she said, I believe you can have a VBAC. Everything's looking fine. So why don't you go home? And that was the nudge then that gave me to go home and continue. But in the end, I'd had enough. I actually went and booked a repeat cesarean for five days later. So 40 plus five. Mm-hmm. And my midwife came in and she offered to do a stretch and sweep. So I agreed. And then I left. I think my husband picked me, it was me and my mum, up about four four o'clock or just after school with Bella and then me and Bella and my mum went to the mall to just go and have a wander around and then my contractions just went from zero to a hundred while I was in the mall I had someone coming up to me in glasses saying are you okay and I'm like yep just over and then I was like mum we need to go and then she was racing around the supermarket she wanted to get things because just you know we're going to be in labor and by the time I got home, so this was only within an hour of leaving the hospital. So I think although I know better now about stretch and sweeps and how they are a form of intervention, I didn't even know that at the time. So this is seven years ago. My my knowledge has come a very, very long way. I do think that was the kicker um, that just sent me over the edge 
but because my body was ready for it it wouldn't have worked otherwise mm. um yeah and by the time I got home my contractions were about three minutes apart within another hour my midwife was at our house and it was just all on and got up to the hospital I think about nine o'clock and the change of environment was really hard on me and I really I noticed it and then you know once I'd had my third birth being able to reflect back on it it was just so intense because it was the room was so bright mm. and I felt like labor was suddenly way more painful in the hospital than what it was at home at home was just amazing I was just pacing my kitchen I chose my kitchen which was really random um, and I was just really comfortable and I was coping well and I felt really good and then yeah once up at the hospital it was just so intense I got in the water but I hated the water and I just could not get comfortable and in the end I asked for an epidural demanded one actually and my midwife who very 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 VBAC supportive and again I was I want it all natural I didn't even use gas I just used clary sage um, essential oil for inhalation which was amazing and so she fluffed around she was really great she procrastinated and she said okay well we've just got to you know do a vaginal examination and just got to do this and that so she did that and I was six centimeters with bulging waters. And so she's like, okay, can you go to the toilet, please? You haven't been wheezed for a while. So I was like, you know, hobbling off to the toilet, very unhappy about it. But went to the toilet. And obviously your pelvis opens up so much sitting on the toilet. And my waters broke. And I felt, I felt Quinn's head just crash down it was the most bizarre feeling because I stood up waters broken I just felt it was yeah so bizarre but I began pushing immediately so I was six centimeters waters broke and obviously that just made space and but but don't cervixes only dilate up one centimeter an hour like well they should right <laughs> you know you're only six centimeters you've got hours to go haven't you yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah I know it's crazy so yeah I went well within a minute went from six to ten centimeters yeah, wow. oh, yes. <laughs> yeah and then yeah I went back into the room um because my, mid my midwife was like, oh, we probably don't want to have a baby on the toilet, which I'm really pleased she made that decision because I didn't want to have a baby on a hospital toilet. Um, I did get on the bed, but I was leaning over the bed on all fours and just, yeah, this beautiful, spontaneous pushing. Um, I ended up actually birthing on my back, but with my bottom off the end of the bed because that was just the most comfortable position for me. And um no one told me to get there I just knew I needed to move there and that's something I can't even visualize that in my head you're on your back with your bottom off the end of the bed what yeah your so legs? my mum and Gareth were supporting my legs okay right so it was almost like a on my back squat yeah 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 and it just um because I was making no progress being on all fours it just but on my back she was just out like a bullet mm. it was so quick and I remember saying to my midwife because Gareth said oh my gosh she's got so much hair and I was I said I'm so excited I just couldn't believe I was doing it after everything that had happened and the week I'd been through 
and um yeah gareth caught her she just she was Aww. so tiny six pound 12 and yeah head of black hair and yeah i did it and i was just yeah unreal and that bond that immediate bond you have is just next level so indescribable yeah yeah that oxytocin is a powerful love drug right <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes that's why we we never feel done as women having babies because you never forget that moment. Yeah, I meeting, think I think there are birth baby. Out, out there who who are addicted to attending births because they want that <laughs> oxytocin. It's a pheromone, you know, the people in the space. I know, it's it so well. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did it. I got I had a hospital be back. It was really positive my midwife was great no one else came in the room because that was my you know one of my boundaries of being there unless it was medically necessary um and it was just a second midwife came in for birth time and she was she was really awesome as well um like I just remember her being like a cheerleader and so excited I guess because be back um and I just felt like an absolute powerhouse. And then breastfeeding was better. We did the breast crawl with Quinn. So she found her her own way to the breast. It took her 45 minutes, which was, you know, it, it, that took a lot of patience. You know, they bob their head around. You think they're going to get it. And then they flop the other way. And um, But she got there in the end. And so our wow. breastfeeding journey was, you know, to begin with, was really positive. Uh, no pain it was just amazing so a completely different experience and but it was so conflicting having experienced that and then knowing what I experienced with Bella and the difference in how I felt about my children mm. which quite yeah that was isn't it it's it's yeah. uh, very and at the time I didn't understand it I still didn't understand I'd I'd experienced trauma in my first birth mm. at the time it was just it was what it was and my baby was alive yeah 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 so after that um we fell pregnant again with a wee surprise baby that we'd never planned on having but my husband hadn't got a vasectomy so here we were with our third baby and you know I was like cool be back again in the hospital and it was my midwife who said to me would you consider a home birth and initially and I was like is, is with no my- no so she had um moved to Australia which was really disappointing but mm-hmm. I had another amazing midwife um and because I couldn't birth in a birthing unit because I don't allow VBAC mamas in birthing units which is ridiculous it really annoys me um yeah so my midwife suggested home birth and it was a hard no for me I was like no no way I'm not doing that because and then uh because I thought I needed to be in the hospital because I'd had a VBAT uh, because I'd had a cesarean and that's the safest place and then I went along to a home birth Canterbury event um my midwife encouraged me to do that so I did and at 16 weeks pregnant I came home from that event and I said to my husband we're going to have a home birth <laughs> yeah. yep and he was just like watch the heck <laughs> he was he was like you need to be in the hospital you've had a cesarean I was like no I don't 
Jared didn't go to the home birth meeting with you. He was no, he did not. He was at home with the girls, and yeah, I actually said to him because he did flip out a little bit, freaked out, Mm -hmm. and I said to him, "Well, you can come, but you don't have to." So I literally took that power immediately and said, "You're invited. Come to the birth." We'll yeah, next meeting. Come, come to, to the, the birth. birth. Yeah. yeah, I wanted I wanted it to be mine, and no one was going to take that away from me. And so, yeah, we proceeded to plan for a home birth, which, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely life changing. Mm-hmm. And I went into labour at thirty eight plus six, which was really unexpected. So my births have always got a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. And Gareth was Gareth was out. That night, I'd had contractions all day and niggly, niggly contractions all day. But because Quinn had been a week of early labour, I was just like, oh, this will go on for days. But cool, something's happening. Mm. And I was on, it was about, I don't know, early evening. And I was on the phone to my sister and Gareth was out and the girls were in bed and I was pacing the lounge. I was like, my contractions are really close together now. How long have we been talking for? And I, we'd only been talking for about half an hour and I'd had so many contractions. I was like, oh, I better go. I better, <laughs> something's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I rang Gareth and I said, oh, you need to come home. I rang my midwife and he walks in the door, very dramatically says, I'm not ready for this shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, cool, Gareth. mate. Cool, cool, because you've got a lot of hard work ahead of you. <laughs> I think just because it was, you know, unexpected to go, you know, that wee bit earlier than 40 mm. weeks. Um, I'm looking forward actually to hearing, you said after Bella's birth, the, the caesarean, that he was stoked with the, with the you know, how the birth had yeah. gone. Like, and so I'm really, like, looking forward to hearing, because I haven't heard from you about this before, um, Gareth's experience of the home birth, but yeah. You'll be getting there. Yeah, oh, he he loved it. But um, yeah, midwife came over just to check in and drop off the birthing pool because she'd put her back out, so I hadn't actually seen her for a few weeks. And so she bought the birthing pool over. Thank goodness she had it. And then her and Gareth set it up, and she said, "Okay, I'm going to go home and get some sleep, and you just ring me back when you know things have really picked up." So it was just Gareth and I. I had. A friend of mine come for birth support and also for the girls if they woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was completely open to them being a part of the birth, but they actually slept through it, which is amazing. And they we would were, have been you know, three and eight at the time? Two and eight. Two and eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two and eight. Um, yeah, so they slept through everything, but she was there and it was lovely having her there. You know, it was that little bit of extra support and cheerleading. And when Gareth needed a break, she could step in. She really played that doula role for me. She was, yeah, just incredible. And she took photos, which I'm so grateful for yeah. because I cherish them so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, so things went along really smoothly. I was just so much different at home. It just kind of progressed and progressed and progressed and it was just this really beautiful um you know it was a steep climb but it just happened so simply there weren't those interruptions it didn't slow down it didn't drop off it just kept progressing and that's something I hadn't ever experienced before Mm. and I really put down to that 
being because I knew I didn't have to go anywhere. Mm. I didn't have to think about all the things I needed to pack. I had a basket full of everything we needed for the birth that made it easy for Gareth and my midwife um, to just find everything. And it was just, yeah, progression. You were, in your, you were in your home. You were in your comfort zone. You had all your smell very light yeah 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 and your comfy pillow and your you know your bed and all the things that are yeah. are yours you're not on yeah. somebody else's turf under, no. under their kind of you know rules or yeah pressures or whatever else yeah yeah mm. but it was it was really amazing to experience that progress because I didn't even have that with Quinn even though I had a really amazing feedback with her it was still really interrupted and it, I, I describe it as quite a jarring experience because mm. it would sort of start and then it would stop and then it would start again it got really intense up in the hospital it didn't feel smooth mm. the way it did at home you talked um, about with Quinn as well that when you were doing sweet at home and then when you went into the hospital yeah. it, the pain really cranked up and that you know, that experience of pain and labor is so different dependent upon how safe uh-huh. and supported we feel. Yeah. And so you were going back into that space that your last experience of birthing in the hospital can oh, be utter shit. So yeah. your body is going, oh, fuck, we're back here again. Like, yeah. And so, of course, the pain levels are going to, they're going to shoot up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was, yeah, crazy experience. Mm. Um. I think my midwife came back about one o'clock in the morning and at this stage I was still really chatty and she was like how I'm not sure how far along you are and how you're still really happy and then by two o'clock I was asking to get in the pool and at 310 I started spontaneously pushing and at 321 um, Mila was born so it was actually really quick in the end from me being very happy to like it's on and your baby's coming wow um, so I'm, was, I'm really was broken or did, was she born in the cool no she, I think they broke as I was pushing yeah yeah they mm. hadn't broken in the pool no yeah no I think they broke as she was pushing as I was pushing and yeah it was I did it all by myself so Mm -hmm. I had zero my midwife was so hands-off um did the Doppler monitoring which you know I was fine with but no cervical examinations she just said to me I can tell where you're at once it ramped up just by observing you and lo and behold you didn't need somebody putting their fingers inside you no and also baby (laughs) no and I've I've attended a couple of births recently where mama has started pushing and the midwife has said I need to check it's safe for you to push and I'm just like what the fuck Mm -hmm. and at one birth in particular it really threw me that that would happen Mm. Because in my head, I'm like, well, she's pushing. She's not forcing herself to push. She can tell spontaneous pushing. Um, this is yeah, one but of my midwife... very common interventions that I hear yeah. a lot in my work. And I always encourage people to listen to the Midwives Cauldron podcast episode yes. titled Pushing and Cervixes. Yeah. And it you know like just smashes all the myths yes around. I, I send yeah. that podcast to a lot of people yeah. that one that's excellent mm. uh yeah so she just left me to it 
Um, I birthed her, I caught her, I lifted her up onto my chest and my midwife looked at her because I thought Mila was a boy. I was just convinced. <laughs> Even when we were told she was a girl, I was like, no, it's a boy. And my midwife came over and gave me this sort of shocked look. And I was like, is it a boy? <laughs> but um, Mila actually had a true knot in her cord and had her foot through the knot. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But this kid is something else. Like, she's she's um pretty cool. She came, you know, one whoopsie, one chew, wasn't planning a baby, you know, and she just came on her own terms at her own time yeah. with a hiss and a roar, and that's my child. <laughs> so did does... you know, with my third child, my last child, I was 100% convinced that he was a girl through my whole pregnancy, never had any scans. Um, so that was a shock to me when he came out a boy. Um, and he had a tree knot in his cord. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Born in the water at home. Yeah. 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 Um, I, Mila has a really masculine personality. She is just so just rip shit and bust and get in there. And so I think that's why I thought she was a boy. It's just her energy she brings to everything she does is, um, yeah. So how was, Gareth, how was Gareth feeling at this stage? In oh, he, he was just, he was so chilled. He just sat and watched TV because I'm, I'm very um, insular mm. and I'm a very indep- independent person anyway, which is actually a trauma response. So it's not like the best thing in the world. Mm. I don't ask for help. So I just labored on my own, but I was quite mm. happy with that. Mm. And we'd had a conversation beforehand about can you just do as do as I ask you and if I want you there I'll ask and if I don't ask you just leave me alone mm. um so he was really respectful of that and he just watched tv quietly until my midwife got annoyed with it and said can you please turn that off mm. <laughs> because I think things are really ramping up and I don't even have music on when I'm laboring I like it to be quite quiet um yeah and he came to me and supported me when I asked for him he was holding my hands while I birthed Mila and he just loved it. He loved it so much. And then as soon as Mila was born, he said, can I please go and wake Bella up? And she was eight. So he went into her and he said, do you want to come and meet your sister? And she was just like, what? She was so confused. And she came out and we've caught, my friend caught her on camera. Her face is just, just shocked. It was just the best moment. So Mila was brand new, maybe a minute old. And, yeah, out comes her big sister. And then Gareth actually went off to bed shortly after she was born because he'd have to get up with Quinn in the morning. And Bella stayed up with me. She made me toast and a cup of tea. And then I had to get a few stitches. And so Bella sat on one couch holding her baby sister. So she got that beautiful bonding time, Mm -hmm. which I think I didn't realize how special it was at the time. And then. Mila and Bella are so close mm. now. They just have the best relationship and there's eight years between them. Mm. And it would have been because of that. She, Bella got all that beautiful oxytocin as well and just immediately fell in love with her little sister. Mm. Yeah, and I got stitched up on the couch. Bella saw the placenta being born, which was really cool. Um, yeah, I've actually talked to her recently a couple of nights ago. You know, she's 13 now. And I said, we're not going to have another baby. But if we did, would you want to be at the birth? And she was like, no, <laughs> definitely not. I was like, why? I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. 
that I'd really wanted to be. Um, yeah, so that was just, it was just amazing. So different. And then when Quinn got up in the morning, I was just there on the couch sitting with her baby sister. Mm. Mm. You know, a beautiful transition for her as well. I wasn't gone. She didn't have to wake up to be told mum's in the hospital. She's had the baby. Mm. You know, Gareth brought her out. Yeah. Come and meet your baby sister. Come and see mum. Yeah. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was it's a, so it's another day in the life of the White household. Extraordinary and completely ordinary all in one, right? Yes. Just as birth is. It's, it happens all the time. Yeah. Birth happens. Yeah. And I would I would have had a really boring home birth. Like as someone observing it, there was no chaos, no drama. And it was literally like, you know, got in the pool, oh the baby's coming, oh she's here. It was that straightforward. Beautiful. Yeah. And I've been at one of those births where it's like, oh, was that it? Yeah. Which is amazing. I just think it's because it's so normal. And when you experience it like that. It's just so like, oh, okay. It's such a normal event. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful and stunning in its ordinariness, you know, and it's like just another part of life. Yeah. 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 Can I go back to, and I, you know, if this is inappropriate for me to ask, we can always chop this Nothing out. Nothing will be inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but you talked about, um, being insular and being very independent but that it's actually a trauma response and I wonder if this is speaking to what I've heard you talk about before which I think is really really interesting and it could Mm -hmm. be really interesting for the listeners yeah the the journey of self-discovery you went on when looking back at your own birth experience was this what it's related to um and I think just just my I guess my childhood a bit as well so yeah I was birth mum had severe postnatal depression with me um so that didn't help our bonding I'm the eldest sibling my parents separated and I really took on that role of caring for my siblings and I just became hyper independent and yeah I think because I was the oldest I was just always the the caretaker and for me to look after myself I had to separate myself from everybody Mm. and go and be alone and so for me it's a healthy trauma response because I love being alone so it's not a negative thing but it means I don't ask for help perhaps when I need it Mm. um or want it even Mm. I will just you know forge on and Mm. I you know and that's where it's been detrimental to me because, and I, I see my own birth, my own birth story. I was posterior. So I came out looking at the stars and I live my life dreaming, you know, dreaming of the next big thing I can do, which is great. But I was forced out before my time by forceps. And I, so I, I, I was, mum's always said I was stuck and I will go through something and things will get hard and I get stuck and I want someone to help me. I want someone else to fix it instead of pushing through myself. I've changed that now because I've since learned, you know, that's my story. Um, but, yeah. That's, I, and that's, that's the power, right, of processing and mm-hmm. moving through that healing journey is that 
yeah, like we are all impacted by past traumas. We all have trauma in our lives, Um, but it doesn't have to stay with us and impact us negatively for the rest of our days. We can process this stuff. And when we learn about it and understand its origins, we can yeah have a different perspective we can see things for what they are and we can choose to believe things differently you know we can choose different thoughts we can choose different responses yeah and so once once I'd had Mila that was when the process of the trauma coming out began right and having that that independent streak in me and I was always told I was resilient and whatever so I'd had two miscarriages before I had Bella and I just carried on mm-hmm. had this horrific cesarean I carried on mm-hmm. had a miscarriage and then an ectopic with emergency surgery that I was told if we'd waited any longer it would have been perhaps catastrophic mm-hmm. carried on and I just forged on and I never processed anything along the way I just kept going but then once I'd had Mila and experienced that powerful autonomous euphoric birth it's sort of I'd had that experience but then all the other stuff came crashing down on me of like what the fuck have I been through to get here Mm -hmm. like I have been through so much to get to here but it was that moment that made me go all women need to know that they can experience this and it doesn't mean it has to be at home although I'm like massively pro home birth (laughs) and I I do think everyone should just try birthing at home Um, but everyone needs to know birth can be this positive normal amazing experience and nothing to fear and I didn't know how that was going to look for me I just knew I had to do it Mm. and I actually found my passion at you know I was 33 at the time when I had Mila I found my thing and I literally live and breathe this work. I I first met you, Kristen, at a home birth Aotearoa conference yes. down in Christchurch. And you were we were both speakers at the at the conference and you spoke, you shared your, this story, you shared this story with us. And I could feel your fire. So <laughs> that, it was like, oh yeah, that's she's my people. <laughs> You are going to like, yeah, you are going to create change. You were you quite, I think, new. I don't know how old um, Mila was by that stage, but I feel like you were quite new and you were like discovering what path you were going to go on to get there. But you had this vision and man, I felt it. And that energy is everything in, in this work, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> it's, the, it's the, Yeah. So tell me, what, what was that journey? What have you been doing with regards to your yeah, birth keeping, birth healing work. So I I think it was the end of 2019. Um, there was a new program coming out, which is a diploma transition to parent. Oh, it's got such a long name. Effectively, mm-hmm. it was a diploma in childbirth education and it was brand new. And I had, I came across it and I had two days to get the application in before they closed. Um, I had to do a video, I had to get references. And so I scrambled this together because birth education really called to me. I didn't want to be a midwife because I didn't want to see the medical side 
of birth and I didn't want to be tainted by the medical side of birth mm. so I didn't want to do that, that sort of, and that's mm. in the system and having yeah. to be under yeah. those rules yeah um so so birth education really called to me so I went and did yeah the diploma in childbirth education which was two years so I've been qualified for almost a year now um and I also then did your healing birth course to yep, become a healing birth practitioner. Training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously birth trauma is so close to my heart and mm-hmm. I love walking with women through their birth trauma <sighs> because these women deserve to, and oh, it's never about healing, I don't think, because we can't heal other people, but it's about validating people's experiences and supporting them in their understanding of why their birth may have taken the turns it did and I'm I'm so passionate about that and helping women just change their birth stories next time and it can be that they had a cesarean and they go on to have a repeat cesarean section but they're choosing that Mm -hmm. they're making that choice and they can plan that birth and make it however they want it it's no you know one birth is better than the other it's for me, it's about women having choice and information in birth. And that's what I'm so very passionate about. Not just having uh, choice, uh, you know, choices um, in their birth, but having those choices respected. So also yes. finding the support that they need to birth their way. Because yep. so much of, of birth trauma is around the disempowerment that comes with the OB that comes in and says, right, we're going to take you for that cesarean now, Kristen. Mm-hmm. You know, you've failed to progress, failure to progress, and you're left believing, like, oh, my body failed me. I, You know, um, yeah. And and so, so much of what is, like, underlies people's trauma around birth is, um, is that powerlessness. Mm-hmm. So it's about encouraging people to see the reality of their situation that they didn't fail in their in in birth they only failed to progress because their body was trying to protect them their body was doing a beautiful job of what it's exactly designed to do (laughs) um and yeah and so having those new understandings and um and and the and learning about the importance of taking responsibility for the the hard decisions in our pregnancies and birth you know making those calls that perhaps go against um what the obstetrician is telling us is safest or what you know our well-meaning friends and family are saying you know um what you're giving birth at home like what are you thinking Kristen or you know what you're 42 weeks pregnant when are you going for your induction we are not like all the messages we hear and it's so hard to do that unless we learn mm-hmm. about, well, all the stuff, right, that we teach and, and kind of or that we, um, the work we do in our healing birth practitioner work. Yeah. So you've been doing a bit of that? Mm-hmm. I have. And to be honest, I haven't run any of my own childbirth education classes, which is is. Yeah, I'm really conflicted in that. But I think, you know, going through the classes, they had to be really standard, straightforward, you know, like a a plunket set of antenatal classes. So you're very stuck inside this box. So I'm still trying to find my flavor of classes. But 
I'm okay with that because I'm really busy with other stuff. I do lots of one-on-one work. I attend births, which is like an absolute dream. It's just, I love it so much. Um, and I do have a VBAC workshop, which I haven't done in a couple of months because I'm, I'm really passionate about my VBAC work and giving women the same information that the obstetrician gives them but it's optimistic. It's coming from this perspective of, okay, you have a 0.5% risk, but you have a 99.5% chance of nothing happening. Um, With regards to uterine rupture, yeah. Yes, in regards to uterine rupture, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do, and I'm I'm really passionate about that. And it's probably, you know, on my social media is the biggest thing I get questions about is feedback. Mm -hmm. And no one else in New Zealand's doing anything about it. So that's quite cool. Yeah, it really is. I've attended one of your your workshops and it was brilliant. You know, yeah. like um yeah, I've been I've been working in the field of birth for a long time. I was a midwife and I have learned, you know, so much, including from you around the back of things that we just don't learn about. We don't learn about them in midwife school. We don't learn about them in mainstream media. We don't learn about them in, you know, um books or articles. It's like, yeah um yes it's the information that's kept from us to us in that compliant role I think you know yeah and there's now just been a recent study come out that says that if you have a home birth after cesarean you're 39% more likely to achieve your vaginal birth boom yeah boom (laughs) yeah like that's really high statistics yeah yes yeah, that's just a little random piece of information in there for you. I love that. I think I recall you saying in your workshop as well about, we were talking about the uterine rupture risk, and you were saying that for even for a first time, or somebody who's never experienced mm-hmm. um, a caesarean, the risk of um, other complications, shoulder dystocia or um you, or, or cord prolapse which are both very kind of potentially very serious yeah complications um are higher for any birthing person yes than the risk of uterine rupture for somebody who's had a previous cesarean yeah and yeah. all yeah all birthing people carry those risks yeah but they won't be told about it which is great yeah because we don't want to put those risks onto you know a first-time birthing mother but we'll put that 0.5 percent risk onto a VBAC mum and we're going to hold it over her and remind her all the time Mm, so interesting yeah yeah oh I love that I can see that we're kind of running out of time here Kristen and I know that we could talk birth all day you and I (laughs) (laughs) right but um I, I feel like it's probably a good time to wind this up. You have shared, like, I, I love that in sharing your story, so many um, messages come through, so many lessons come through that others can can take from, and this is what I think is the beauty of the power of, of story sharing. Um, and then, you know, you shared some little stats and information with us there um, at the end as well. But yeah just thank you thank you for like opening up and sharing about your your journey your your journey from from trauma to healing and um I love as well that you mentioned um about 
with Bella's birth, your first birth, that lack of bond that existed, which is incredibly common for people who experience a traumatic birth, they don't have the same love drug flowing through their veins at the time of birth. They don't have that same oxytocin hit. And often their brain is in a trauma state, which is all about being in survival mode. It's not about let's fall in love with our baby now. Yeah. Um, so that's a really normal response. And often people will, I think, think there's something faulty with them or like that it's, oh, well, it must just be my relationship with this particular child. And you felt the contrast when, when mm-hmm. Quinn was born and that was really hard for you. But you've said that since you've done this healing, as you've kind of gone on this journey, um, that that bond with, um, with Bella has really changed and grown. And I think that's just really beautiful and encouraging for people, listeners perhaps, who are still struggling with um, a a bit of disconnect with their trauma baby, you know. Mm -hmm. And that healing as well, it's my firm belief that as you heal those pieces of your journey, that that is really healing for Bella as well. That this is the, the ripple effects of healing our birth trauma is we just can't you know, overestimate them. Like they're just, it's its incredible, you know, generational yeah. healing, ancestral healing. Yeah. So um, so thank you. I, I'm going to ask you this, this final question. If you could go back to your pre-motherhood version of yourself and share one piece of wisdom with her, what would it be? <sighs> to listen, I thought about this too, to really listen to your intuition listen to your intuition and I feel like I did that really well but I did it subconsciously I didn't do it in a conscious way and I wish I had um you know like I knew I didn't want the induction which is my intuition telling me and I did wasn't induced but I would have gone into that induction so yeah trust your intuition trust that gut feeling because it's speaking to you for a reason so it's okay to question it and ask you know what is this telling me and follow that intuition and that goes into motherhood as well because you know there's so many like all these rules and your baby should sleep and you should put them down and don't do this and do that and you know your baby best and you need to trust your intuition and if you if your heart is pulling to go to your baby, go to your baby. Because, you know, all these rules, because we feel better when our babies are with us, just like they feel better when they're with us. It goes both ways. Nobody knows better than we do what is best for our bodies, our babies, our births. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Trust your intuition. It mm-hmm. won't let you down. Yeah. No, it won't. Well, awesome note to end on yeah beautiful thank you so much Kristen thank you for having me I've had a great time thank you for listening to this episode of the healing birth podcast if you like what you heard please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others or if you'd like to connect with me You can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website healingbirth.co.nz. I'd love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions or because you're potentially interested in working or training together. Let's do it. 
Aroha noi, you beautiful people.